Hola, Buena Vista. Welcome to the Geekurada Podcast. Goal! ¿Qué pasa, mi amigos? Uh, lo siento, estoy borracho. Muy, muy borracho. Muchas cervezas. Hey, guys. Uh, no, you didn't turn on to Telemundo. It's the Geekurada Podcast, and I'm one of your hosts, Mike Spriegel. And I'm the other host, John Lundquist. I'm not Mexican at all. No, I'm half Mexican myself. Darn half-breed. Anyhow, thanks for joining us. This will be an arbitrary episode. I think arbitrary episode number seven, so it's going to be very lucky. Yay. Buy a lottery ticket, everyone. Mm -hmm. So that being said, hey, let's do some housekeeping. Guys, Facebook, Twitter, rate us on whatever platforms. And I've covered it. So anybody that's new to our show, arbitrary episodes are just shows where John and I just talk about random various things. Not to be confused with our category episode where we have three or four topics already pre-chosen and then just more like a current events kind of episode. Um, for uh, this, uh, our first uh, segment we have right now, let's uh, do recommendations. John, how would I go first? Sure. Go right ahead, sir. All right. So one thing that I feel that has been getting better and better over the past few years, if you're a Star Wars fan, is that Star Wars as a series of figures through Hasbro called the Black Series. And the Black Series... Did you get Dak? Dude, you fucking spoiled it! <laughs> no, I do not have it yet, John, because it has not been released yet. Thank you very much. Still... All right, guys, uh, I was going <laughs> to recommend. So they have a whole series of six inch figures that are like well over like a hundred plus that they have made, which are amazing, lifelike, realistic versions of the characters from the various Star Wars movies from all different types of movies or other mediums. But not as lifelike as the Hot Toys. Not as lifelike as Hot Toys, but the Hot Toys, I'm not spending 500 to to $1,000 for that shit either. No. No. So they had a whole bunch of them, and one of them that's coming out, they have started making larger deluxe versions of these. And one that's coming out within the next month or so is uh, to help commemorate the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back, you have a Snowspeeder, which comes with a Dak Raltar figure. Pre-crushed. It's not pretty crushed, John. For you, for those of you who don't know who Dak is, because you're not as much of a Star Wars nerd as me, in Empire Strikes Back, when they had the Battle of Hoth against the Imperial Walkers, that's the guy that was the gunner for Luke Snowspeeder, who was like, I feel like I could take on the whole Empire by myself. And I then he's like, dead minutes later. I feel like you have to use air quotes when you call him a gunner. Well, and that's just it. It's like, he's back there, and that's... I had a conversation with somebody about this, about what Dak's job was. It's like, was his only job just to man the harpoon gun? Because Luke was also talking about, he was also talking, Dak was talking about like maintaining our switching power from auxiliary control. So it's like he's almost like doing a job that an astromech droid like r 2 yeah. should do. I was just going to say, he's almost like a human astromech droid, basically. He's probably like just adjusting all sorts of dials and knobs. He's like, hey, Dak, get me some more power to the thrusters. Okay, Luke, sure. Not a problem. So anyhow, Dan, you know, Luke's about to like take a run at the uh, AT walkers with their harpoon gun because their armor's too strong for blasters. But and this is where it's ambiguous. Now, some say that Dak died because uh, the snowspeeder sustained some gunfire from an Imperial walker and that killed him. 
I have two other theories, John. Theory number one is that Dak accidentally electrocuted himself, switching the power from auxiliary control because he was doing a job an astromech droid should have done, and basically he was incompetent, so he killed himself. My second theory is that he didn't die. Maybe there was just a blast and knocked him out. And I like to think, and then the final moments when Luke is just grabbing his lightsaber and a, like a harpoon grappling gun out of the snow speeder, Dax coming to him going, what's going on, Luke? Right before he's getting squished to death. <laughs> yeah. And Luke's like, oh, nothing. You just stay here. And, uh, I'll go get help. <laughs> But yeah, Dak Raltar and the Snowspeeder, it's also good to know because this year they're also uh, reissuing some previous figures, including a, a Snowspeeder version of Luke Skywalker as well to help commemorate the 40th anniversary. So it's $120. It's a, a Snowspeeder that's up to the scale for the six-inch figures. I have a few of the six-inch figures, including uh, the Mandalorian. He's a, like a badass. Even got myself a West Jansen. That's pretty awesome too, and Don't I even got Poe. I got Poe, and I got Wedge too. So, uh, yeah, you want some awesome looking thing to hang around in your house and be a conversation centerpiece? Where else could you go wrong but with Dak? Yeah, you can tell the story that Mike just told. Or just tell him to listen to this podcast, and I'll, you don't even have to tell. Let me tell it to you. Yes. Let him tell your lame stories about secondary Star Wars characters. Mm. Oh, yeah. Your turn. My recommendation, I'm going with a food item this time because, you know, we never do that here. Um, This one I found kind of on accident. I was at the gas station the other day on the way back home from the cabin. Is it cock? It was not cock. There was not cock there. Sorry, sir. Um, well, I, I do like chicken. You know, I, yeah, maybe they had something chicken flavored there. Some oh, roasted chicken. Did you think I was talking about? Oh, you dirty Dude. mind. Son of a... Um, no, I was standing in line doing doing the six feet thing, kind of a ways back from whoever's at the counter. And so I was standing in the chip aisle, as it were, and I looked over to my to one side, and there were some old Dutch potatoes, and the, the flavor was buffalo macaroni and cheese. And I was like, you know, hey, spicy macaroni and cheese, I'm all about it. So I was like, what the hell? I need something salty for the ride home. And I grabbed them, and they are pretty damn good and well worth your time. Um... I feel like Old Dutch put out a few different, they've been doing a lot of experimental things. They put out like a spicy pickled potato chip. I tried that and that is not all that terribly great and not really worth your time. Um, they did a sloppy Joe flavor last year that was fairly decent, kind of like a barbecue bibs type thing. And they have a prime rib kettle chip that basically just tastes like horseradish, which is not bad, but it's also not great. But um, but the buffalo macaroni and cheese potato chip, if you see it out there, it's a limited edition thing. Um, so go get some. It's yummy. Nice spicy. It's kind of like a spicy... What do they call those? Like cheddar au gratin potato chips, I think, that you can get everywhere. It's kind of like a spicy version of that. So it's pretty good stuff if you're looking for a different kind of potato chip to try. Buffalo mac and cheese. Yum, yum. Eat some chips, people. Yes. Do it. All right, let's move on to our arbitrary list. Our arbitrary list was come up with by John this time. John, set us up. Um, well, basically we were trying to come up with an arbitrary list and I was kind of laying in bed and I happened to glance over at my Dungeons and Dragons books and starter kit sets and all that fun stuff. And so I figured, well, let's do like top three, like fantasy races and or creatures or, you know, whatever, just your general, like your monsters or whatever. Um, you know, see what, see what interesting things there are out there. Cause there's certainly quite an, quite an array. If you go anything from video games to movies, to books, to, you know, 
whatever, or, you know, we're role-playing games. So there's a lot out there. So, so what is your first pick, sir? I feel that two of my three picks may fall under what you're probably going to say. So I'm going to see if I'm going to throw one out there right now. And these are not ranked in any level of importance, but my uh, first uh, species or race that I will bring up is Wookiees. Ah, good call. Did you not have Wookiees? I do not have Wookiees. I chose Wookiees because I think, Star Wars has done one of those things where they've built amazing worlds and all these different alien races. And I thought about it as like, what's more iconic than like Wookiees? Because Chewbacca, come on, you see that guy. And not only do you know that he's Chewbacca, but you know he's a Wookiee. I mean, that's just how well known the character is in his race. And sure, we maybe said some bad things about Chewbacca's family a few episodes ago when we were talking about the Star Wars special. But that was just because it was the 70s and a TV budget that didn't quite understand the source material. But uh, come on, man. Wookiees, man. That's a fucking badass race of giant, like, bear-like things that will tear your arms off. But here's even the better part. They age, like, long. I mean, they have long lives and everything. They're smart enough, apparently, how to know how to fix uh, spaceships and play chess. But still savage enough to tear your arm off if you make them mad. So, Wookiees. Wookiees are good stuff. I don't I don't think I would have came up with Wookiees because I tend to think of them as more sci-fi than fantasy, but technically Star Wars is more science fantasy than science fiction, so not bad. Good call. Wookiees are good stuff. Um, yes, way to go. I'm going to first start before I get to my, my third. Mine aren't really in any order either, but there's a couple that I feel like I feel need to point out that I'm not a huge fan of, and that is Ewoks. L... E- no, I don't mind Ewoks as much as some people do. Um... No, more traditional fantasy stuff. And that is elves and fae, like fairy type stuff. Anytime, like, like I don't mind elves, but I'm certainly not as enamored with them as most people are. Like, most people are like, oh, elves, they're so great. Whereas I'm just like, yeah, they're kind of full of themselves and arrogant and whatever. I'm not a huge fan. Anytime, like, fairies show up. Or the like fairy white guy, people. The what? Like white people. Yes, exactly. Elves are white people, and we're jerks. Come on, how many black elves have you seen? That's true. Very true. Um, and anytime like fairies show up, it's always just like this whole, you know, like they're just annoying basically the way I see it. Cause they always have this thing where it's like, we're going to make a deal with you. And then the, the deal ends up being strangely worded and it just, it, it, they're just annoying to me every time they show up in a story. So not a huge fan of elves or fairies, but anyway, moving right along. Um, my first pick, I'm going to go with good old dwarves just because dwarves feel like I, they're kind of just all around good people to hang around with and you know whether you're out adventuring and killing things or somebody that you know i mean if you're out on a fantasy adventure you know you're not gonna have anybody more trusting a dwarf on your side but at the same time after that adventure's over and you're sitting in a tavern you know that dwarf's not gonna be afraid to sit there and just put back beer after beer after beer with you and just have a good time and laugh about everything that all of the horrible things that probably just happened on the adventure you just got back from but they're gonna drink it all into the table and just you know the dwarves are they're, they're loyal they're they're fun they're you know they drink beer and they're they're good at making weapons too. So if you need a good weapon, go find yourself a good dwarven blacksmith and you'll get a pretty kick-ass sword or axe, most likely. But um dwarves are good stuff. I like me some dwarves. Then the piggyback on your hatred of elves, like one other thing like I left out, I left out Vulcans as a race because I always feel like Vulcans were like the sci-fi equivalent of elves because of their yeah. weird arrogance and but they're they're these amazingly proficient individuals, but they're also a bunch of arrogant assholes. 
Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Vulcans either. Like, I don't mind them, but they're just kind of like, eh, whatever. Number two. What do you got? This one's going to feel like a cheat maybe in your eyes, but I'm going to pick the Cylons. Interesting. Here's the reason why. The reason I like the Cylons from the reimagined version of Battlestar Galactica is that for two, three different reasons. One, they were created as almost like a slave race that eventually gained autonomy. You know, like their AIs developed to the point where they realized they didn't want to be slaves anymore. So they rebelled, started a war, went away, but came back, but upgraded themselves almost humanoid form. And Basically, they look at themselves as being the superior version of humans and looking at, you know, the flaws of their previous masters. So there's something that I always thought about. That's one of the things I always like about the draw of Battlestar Galactica is that, you know, their motivation for wanting to kill the humans isn't necessarily a wrong one in some ways. Granted, genocide is never an approved thing. But I think the other thing I always love about the Cylons, too, is that should they be close enough to a resurrection ship? They can be reborn. So if they die, they still retain their memories and realize the mistakes they made that led to their death in the first place, helping them evolve and continually to improve themselves. So I'm going to take, uh, in terms of favorite uh, you know, creatures and races, I'm going to cheat and say Cylons. Yours are both science fiction so far. You yes, are cheating. Are. I'm yes. not cheating. Here, you know, wait a second here. Let me look at the verbiage that you used here. I'm going to pull it up. It says here, your verbiage that you used was top favorite fantasy races or creatures. So uh, I consider Wookiees a race, and I consider the Cylons a race. And they're both fantasy because have you seen those guys in real life? (laughs) All right, whatever. I'll let you get away with it. I'm not not going to, you know, there, there are worse things that I could freak out about now, but. That is certainly not one of them. Um, my next one I'm going to go with, and it's more of a nostalgia type thing for me, I suppose, because they're not certainly not well known. Um, and that was, I think, I, I think a while back when we talked about like our favorite books and series. I mentioned the Dragonlance series, and in that series, there is kind of they're kind of like a minion race in that they're kind of just sent out as like cannon fodder for the for the the heroes to kind of kill. But when they show up, they're a little bit more menacing than like say a goblin or a you know, or a troll or something like that would be. And that is, they're, they're called draconians, and they're kind of like these half-dragon creatures with wings, and they turn to stone when you kill them, so you have to be careful if you, you know, if you stab them, you're not getting that sword back, because it's going to get stuck in the stone thing. Um, and they just, I don't know, whenever they showed up in the book series, they just always had this certain kind of menace to them, so I was kind of appreciated there, that they were a little bit more menacing than, you know, goblins, which you can just kind of hack and slash through, and you don't need to worry about, you know, these guys were a little bit more more dangerous, you know, not just in the fact that they turned to stone, but they were just a little bit more vicious and a little bit more sinister, you know, they had a little bit more thought behind me and just, you know, let's send hundreds of goblins or hundreds of orcs at somebody, you know, these guys were a little bit more, a bit more of a threat, and it was always kind of cool to see them show up and, and menace the hero. So, so Draconians, which you may or may not know from the Dragonland series, is my next one. All right, uh, my last one right here. This one does fall more into the fantasy realm, John, if this will help appease you. But uh, there's uh, there's certain deities out there and there's certain like, you know, like we look at creatures like Godzilla and stuff like these big badass world destroyers. But there's one that is probably pound for pound. The one that is the king of them all. And I'm going to say Cthulhu. Ah, good old Cthulhu. 
Yeah, let's give him. Let's give our praise to a guy that's inspired weird cultists to worship him and all these like Lovecraftian and just weird things about him. I mean, yeah, there, there's a bad guy. How come there has never been a proper movie where he's been the bad guy? Come on, let's get those rights signed up and let's get them on the big screen right there. Because imagine like a movie where you basically had some protagonist trying to stop the cult of Cthulhu and, and they fail. That's the beauty. They'll fail because yeah, yeah, Cthulhu, yeah, yeah, Cthulhu, yeah, I do. I think. Well, isn't I think Guillermo del Toro has been trying to make what Mountains of Madness? I think, which is a is a Lovecraft story. I don't know if it's specifically a Cthulhu story. It's a love story. It could be. Who knows? I haven't read it. But uh, I feel like Cthulhu has always been kind of one of those weird things that's kind of hard, since a lot of that stuff kind of takes place more in the mind. It's one of those things that's always hard to film, I imagine. So it's kind of hard to put up on the big screen and have it translate very well. I would think. Mm. Maybe someday. One day, but there, that's a fantasy creature, John. Way to go. Good job. Um, my last one, it's, it's, it's easy to go with dragons, so I didn't put dragons on this just because, you know, pretty much everybody likes dragons, so it's kind of a gimme. Um, it's not so much a favorite. I mean, it's it, I suppose a favorite because I do like them. It's more just like when you're on like a classic dungeon delve, and I've got two of them here for my last one because kind of, they kind of go in the same category. A um, little bit. And that's Mimics and Gelatinous Cubes, um, which if you're not familiar with either one of those, Mimics are basically creatures that disguise themselves like most commonly as like a treasure chest or a door or something that an adventurer in a dungeon would, you know, walk up to thinking it was harmless. Like, oh, there's a treasure chest over there. Let's go and open it. And suddenly that treasure chest is trying to bite your hand off and all that. So, you know, you have a creature you have to fight. And it's just kind of odd that, it, you know, there's a creature type that is in a dungeon that just disguises itself as ordinary things to, you know, to get its prey and to kill them. And gelatinous cubes are kind of, kind of almost a non-threatening creature, but I suppose if you come up to one, they, they, you have to try and kill it because basically what gelatinous cubes are is basically somebody made this dungeon and then realized like, Hey, you know, we need something to clean this dungeon because, you know, it's getting kind of dirty in there. There's lots of just scum and scuzz on the wall. So basically what a gelatinous cube is, it's this cube that literally all it is intended to do is basically just roam through the dungeon and scrape the walls and the floors and the ceilings, and it basically consumes anything that it comes into touch the, with. So the, it's, term you, the term you want to use is medieval Roomba. Yeah, basically. It's like this huge, like the blob, basically, a slimy, cubey, blobby thing, and it just, you know, just eats everything that comes in its way. But it's not, like, going to come after you. It's just, like, a slow-moving thing that you're going to accidentally, like, either walk into or... You know, maybe you'll see it because you can see like the the armor that didn't get dissolved in it or the bones kind of floating in it. So you're like, why is there some bones kind of randomly coming down the hall? And you're like, oh crap, it's a gelatinous cube. And it's just weird that there's this, you know, this creature that was essentially some wizard or whoever, you know, created this place was like, you know, we need to clean this place up. It's getting messy. I'll make this cube that just eats everything. And if some adventures happen to walk into it, then eh, so much the better. What if like a Roomba just went rogue and like they found like a dead person like with his face like torn off and then basically like the detectives like well we can't seem to figure out his face was found inside the Roomba but it couldn't could it someday the robot uprising could happen medieval Roomba yes so yeah there we go so let's move on to the arbitrary episode. And with that, we can talk about just various random topics. Where do you want to start out with? You got anything? I got stuff. I mean, 
I've got one thing that kind of it's something I've thought of before and I've kind of realized it's and that's kind of the the presence or lack thereof of laugh tracks like in TV shows. And the reason I came up with it today is I was watching an episode of uh oh, what's that James Oliver show that's on HBO? It's like last last week tonight, I think is what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching that and since you know, since we're in pandemic and everybody's quarantined, it's basically just him sitting in an empty studio or something like or wherever it is. Maybe it's a room in his house, I don't know. But it's basically just him sitting there by himself. You know, he's he's still got the little square up, you know, up in the top corner of the screen where he can put visuals and stuff. But the key thing is that there's no live audience there. And I think this is the way, like, I haven't watched any other, like, late-night talk show hosts, like, you know, like uh, like Conan O'Brien or Stephen Colbert or anybody. See how they're doing it. But there's, you know, there's nobody in the there. So, he, so he's... Well, the the show's still going on the same way as it has been, but there's no there's nobody responding to anything. Like there's no laughs. Let let's separate this though, because I see what you're saying. That there there is a very distinct difference between having a a live studio audience and then a laugh track. Yes, and I think it's two things. That's things I think. So when and I think the other side is the laugh track. When you have some shows like count like you know, like I was talking about Shit's Creek in the other episode, and that's a show where it doesn't have a laugh track, so you just have to kind of watch it and laugh when you feel that it's funny. And I think like some shows like Big Bang Theory is the one that comes to mind because Big Bang Theory does have a laugh track. You know, it's a traditional sitcom, and I've seen clips where people have taken that laugh track out, and they're like, "Okay, now that you're watching this without the laugh track, like, hey, uh, what happened there, John? That was my microphone falling over. Can you still hear me?" Yeah, this is where we cue the laugh track. <laughs> uh, um, but there's clips out there where you can watch where people have taken the laugh track out of the Big Bang Theory, and it's just people talking, and there's these weird, awkward pauses, and it's, you know, you're not necessarily laughing because it's, you know, it's kind of funny, but not as funny as maybe you would think it would be if you had that laugh track there to kind of give you the cue. You know, it was kind of the same way like watching, you know, James Oliver. You know, there were sometimes when you could tell that some things were funny, and, you know, he'd maybe normally pause to wait for the laughter to let die out, you know, and it was funny, but he'd kind of keep, you know, still keep going with, like, he didn't stop his flow at all, which was kind of a different different rhythm. I think it still worked for him. Like, it was still funny, but I think you're kind of left on your own. You know, you're not quite as programmed. I don't, I don't know what the word I'm trying to get, the idea I'm trying to get across is that the laugh track, I feel, kind of guides you more, you know, and you're maybe going to laugh at things you maybe wouldn't necessarily laugh at. Otherwise. I think part of it is... To your point right there, like there's a comedian that I like, Chad Daniels, and it this kind of piggybacks on yours in a sort of a vague way, but um, he was talking about how he went to a comedy festival that was in honor of Johnny Carson. He brought his like 18, 19 year old son with him. They're backstage, and there's some other comedians that saw his son and thought his son was there for the festival. So they're digging at him like, oh, what's a 19-year-old kid going to tell us, you know, tell jokes and everything about all the things you've experienced. Ooh. And his, his Chad said, like, you know, the funniest thing that I saw is, you know, my everybody's like, are you going to go, like, help your son? He's like, no, I sharpen the stick. I know how it pokes. And his son goes, hey, do you mind if I give you a compliment about something I like about your act? And, the, you know, the comedian's like, sure, whatever. And he's like, I like how at the end of each of your jokes – you smile to help indicate when the punchline is because your joke sure as hell don't tell that. <laughs> and to your point right there, like I, I've seen the clips of like the Big Bang Theory without the la- without the laugh track, and I'm gonna level with you. I I'm not a fan of the Big Bang Theory. I tried watching it. I watched made it through like a season or two, but I'm like, this is this is just shitty lazy comedy. It's one of those things that. 
the Big Bang Theory is almost like kind of poking basically at what people are like, oh, nerds, what are they going to do? They're socially awkward. But then you like watch the show and it's like, listen, all right, you've taken the stereotype of the nerd. And I'm not saying that this stereotype doesn't exist, but it's also tends to be much more of the minority than it does the majority in terms of, you know, what your nerds are. Can nerds be socially awkward? Yes. And I think that's a show that they had to use a laugh track because ultimately, you know, it it is one of those things that sometimes with some of the references and things they use, you got to tell the people like, yeah, this is funny because of reasons you may not understand. I know some people that are nerdy that like the Big Bang Theory because it's essentially like, oh, but, you know, they have like jokes of, you know, that are inside jokes that only nerds will get all right, that's fine, but they're still pandering at you at this point by saying, we're making fun of you, but hey, if we throw out a reference about Starbucks from Battlestar Galactica, that'll make you like, oh, they understand us. They said Starbucks. So I, I hate that. There's a few other shows that have used laugh tracks where it really sticks out and drives me nuts. Uh, as an example, like How I Met Your Mother. I watched most of that, but I always felt the laugh track and that was very unnecessary and just kind of disjointed. Seinfeld had a laugh track and I often sat there and thought, man, that's a show that doesn't need one. But even like some of the, like one show that I want to like, but sometimes I struggle with at times is like the IT crowd because the IT crowd has a laugh track and it feels like it shouldn't. It doesn't need to. So yeah, laugh tracks are just this weird byproduct of, uh, uh, you know, the old 60s and 70s sitcoms. I, But that being said, to your point about live audiences, yes, the shows that do thrive and need live audiences, like, as an example, if you watched any wrestling since the, the pandemic has started? I haven't, but I've heard it's definitely a different feel out. I know there's some, like I know WWE was doing just live wrestling without anybody in the arena at all. Whereas I think it was AEW was doing it, but they were having like the other wrestlers kind of like sitting in the first few rows and kind of giving, you know, cheering on. Yeah. Cheering on doing, you know, kind of giving you like a pseudo crowd feel, you know, whereas WWE was doing more of just like they're and playing in an empty arena and it just kind of had this awkward feeling to it. The WWE has now stolen that idea from AEW and they're doing the same thing where they're having developmental wrestlers out there. Like, yeah, but i mean there's times like you know you could have a match it could be amazing but there's been times i remember like watching wrestling in the old days that sometimes matches were made amazing because the crowd was so into it and there's other times that matches were bad because the crowd was so bad that it kind of took you out of it as well so i i get your point like i it's it's the restrictions and limitations of what you got available but man uh yeah, yeah, I, just, it, it, yeah and i wonder like if laugh tracks are on a holdover from like when every TV show used to be recorded live. And so you, you know, you have that laugh track in there because that was their, their live reaction. And that's what, that wasn't something that they could edit out of the shows. And so then, right. when, it then later, no, I think, I think early, early on maybe, but then later on, like once, you know, they weren't necessarily filmed in front of a live audience, they, you know, they were like, it sounds weird without that laugh track and without people laughing there, because that's just what they were used to. Maybe, you know, I, I don't but, know. That's just me spitballing. But here's something else. Another aspect of it though, because in those old shows, they still had like applause signs or they had like pages that had signs yeah. right, like that told the crowd when to laugh known to help punctuate certain, you know, moments in the show itself, even live, like, uh, 
like late night shows, they even do that too, where they have, you know, those like signs, indicators, like say, hey, everybody applause and clap. They also use that just so that way, hey, if this is off, then we want you quiet because that's when we got to, you know, tell our jokes or do things and everything. But yeah, it, it is kind of like an, an outdated thing that I think it's much more noticeable nowadays when things do use laugh tracks than when they aren't. Yeah, it just really drove it home. Because like I said, usually, you know, James Oliver's show, you know, last week tonight is, you know, in front of a live audience. And I think that was the first thing I've watched where, you know, I haven't seen any Conan or anybody else. And watching him just kind of doing it in a room where there wasn't anybody re reacting to what he did just kind of really drove it home to me, I think. Yeah, laugh tracks. Boop, boop. Yes. Uh, yeah, laugh tracks. I think speaking of HBO... So this past week, uh, HBO Max came out. It uh, did. And man, which, 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 a, is where, which is where I watched it last week. And I got to tell you, what a what a horrible, shitty launch for that network. And hear, hear me out here is the reasons why. And I read an article and maybe helped put in perspective it. Remember when like Disney Plus, even like was like months before it came out, how much hype was about Disney Plus? Oh, yes. Like Disney was like, pimping that shit all over the place you could see ads for it everywhere and they had like even built up like excitement saying hey if you sign up for three years you get it practically for almost nothing where you're getting like a year free and here's all the shows you're going to be able to watch these are all the shows and things you love and hey when it comes out guess what we're going to have this show called the mandalorian you're going to fucking cream yourself when you watch this show and I look at what Disney Plus did, and they did it right. Because you look at what their subscription numbers were, and they were through the roof. People were stoked about it. It's faded off, and I think that's been Disney Plus's maybe weakness, is that their original content since you know their launch, they're in a lull. But it's also not their fault. A lot of it is also because of all the issues going on with the pandemic, too, which is uh, delaying some of their content from coming out. That being said... What hype did you see about HBO Max? What ads or anything that you saw that was pushing this channel, you know, to be the be all thing for it? Did you I, see? I, I didn't see a whole lot. I mean, I'd see stuff here and there for it. And I think that the more confusing thing with that probably didn't help them is that there's already HBO Go, there's HBO Now, and now there's HBO Max. And it's like, well, what's the difference between these three? Like, why, you know, why, you know, I think HBO, what was it? HBO Now people get HBO Max automatically. Wasn't that how it worked? Yes and no, and here's where the other big issue of failure comes into play. So, so I have, if you have cable or satellite, you have access usually to HBO Go if you're already subscribed to HBO through your cable or satellite service. If not, if you're a cord cutter like me and you, HBO Max is where, hey, I'll pay $15 a month, and guess what? I have access to HBO's library, you know, all their streaming libraries. So... It's pretty cool and everything. Here's here's problem two where HBO Max really just screwed it up is that it is so when I saw email saying that hey if you have HBO Max, guess what? It'll automate or HBO now, it'll automatically upgrade to HBO Max. So the day of I checked my tablet and hey, lo and behold, it did update on there. That's pretty awesome and everything. So I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to watch it on my tablet. I have a Roku TV, so I'm like, well, I'll just watch it on my Roku TV. Nope. So 
that's their big issue is that they have it available on most Apple devices. They have it available through uh, Android-based devices like Chromecast or Android TVs. They do not have this available through both Roku or Amazon's Fire Stick, which comprises like 70% of your streaming market out there on TVs. What the frick? And reading yeah. up about this, the whole issue about this is the fact that it, part of it's money. The other part of it is that way Roku tends to work is they have access to the materials on demand so they can stream it on there. HBO wants to have it behind an additional wall and not readily available. So the, the way they're configuring it, it's kind of just a weird, messed up kind of way of doing it. And the thing I've heard is they do have apps ready for Amazon and Roku. But the hard thing is this, is that they basically, I can understand maybe HBO not wanting to put it onto or onto Amazon, because technically, since Amazon creates its own content, it is kind of a competitor in some ways. But why not Roku? Roku is just a delivery system where you can put your apps and watch your programs on there. So I have a Roku TV that I can't watch any HBO Max. Fortunately, my other... Uh, my media room, I have the gaming systems, which they do have HBO Max available on through Xbox or PlayStation 4, so I can watch it through there. But what a just a dumb mishandling of that. Here's my last complaint about HBO Max. So you're paying 15 bucks a month. All right, fine. Um, not having 4K, though, at the launch of the service, and not it won't be available for several months. What kind of weird system is this? It's like... They're almost releasing like an incomplete product at this point. Yeah, they took a cue from video games maybe where they're like, ah, oh, we're just going to release this thing and then we're going to have to patch it right away. Um, yeah, I mean, none of those things really bothered me a whole lot. Like, I'm not somebody who needs 4K. You know, I watch mine on my Apple TV, although one of my Apple TVs is apparently so old that it can't even get HBO Max on it. So, but I feel like that's more my issue than theirs. But, right. Um, you know, I did think it was weird, like, I was kind of browsing through some of it. Like, there were some things you'd go into, like, I can't remember what it was. Like, Crunchyroll, which is their anime thing, has, like, five options in it, I think, which seems like an odd, like, why even bother with that? I think Adult Swim, I think, didn't have a whole lot in there either. I mean, I, I would say this. There's things on there that, like, yes, Adult Swim only has, I think, like, eight to ten shows on there. But two of the shows are great shows and on there. Like, having the entire library of Space Goes Coast to Coast awesome having home movies on there great but to your point you can't sit there and advertise that hey we got this channel and their programs and you only have like 10 things it has rick and morty as well i'm sure it'll expand but yeah, yeah I, it'll, it'll get bigger but i mean you'd think if you're gonna you know like i said if you're only gonna have <clears throat> five things for Crunchyroll, why bother with it i mean i'm not a huge anime guy so that doesn't bother me too much but it just seems odd i mean because those weren't the only ones too there are a couple others i went into where well this the studio ghibli stuff that stuff is actually great to have on there and they do have a pretty yeah there's, yeah there's a fair amount there so that's good i'm looking forward to checking out some of those because a lot of those that i haven't seen those those could be another episode of you know why hasn't john seen this yet um I don't like. I don't really like the interface though for HBO Max. I find it to be very clunky. It is I mean, a little bit. It's kind of weird. Like, I mean, I don't know what yours is like on your device. On Apple TV, it's not too bad. I mean, it's not as smooth as like others, but it's not to the well, point like, where it bothers it, me. But it's definitely, it has the menu drop down, and then it basically has based on genre. But you have to go to like the absolute bottom if you want to go based off like I don't know studio or whatever you want to call it at this point or channel. 
And then like, if you want to back up out of that, you got to reaccess the whole menu again. It's just, it's such a weird interface. I, I feel that, you know, some of the stuff they have on here, like, all right, you have all the de- since this is a Warner brother based uh, own thing. Yes. You got most of this Batman stuff on there, except the Nolan movies. The Nolan movies aren't on there yet, which there's yeah. a issue there. You know, you, you see that, Hey, we got all the Harry Potter stuff. Like, all right, that's fine. I will say that some of the movie catalog they have in there now that they have access to like some of the things like Turner classic movies and a lot of the other stuff, like the fact that it has like uh like old classics, like Akira Hirosawa's like seven samurais on here. That's something I would love to watch again. Granted it's a three hour movie, but I mean, they do have some amazing classic movies on there. I always hated HBO's interface before when it was just HBO max, it's not gotten any easier to navigate on there. Yeah, I mean, and there's some good stuff, like you said, like, uh, there's, and maybe some of those we can watch and review, some of those, like your Jimbo, I heard is really good, and that's on there. There's a Criterion selection somewhere on there. I didn't find it, but I saw an article somewhere that there's a Criterion Classics that's actually got quite a few good things in there. You know, that the Turner Classics movie stuff is pretty good. You know, it's got Wizard of Oz, it's got Casablanca, it's got all sorts of, you know. Yeah, it's got all sorts of old classic stuff. So, I mean, there's there's good stuff there, but I just feel like, the yeah, the launch is, kind of lackluster like there's not really any one you know like you said disney plus launched with mandalorian as they're kind of big like you know hey get this or i don't feel like there's anything really on hbo plus like it's hey we've got these new looney tune cartoons which you know who cares you know i mean there's to hbo's fault i mean they had to release it they've could have probably released this earlier but their big plan was is they they were going to have a friends reunion and that was going to be their big draws like hey they got they they have the streaming rights to Friends on there as well as Big Bang Theory and those are shows like hey you can't watch these anywhere else and their whole thought was we're gonna when we launch this we're gonna have the Friends reunion because everybody wants to watch the Friends reunion but because of COVID nineteen they haven't been able to film it or do the thing they wanted to do they realized we just can't keep sitting on this so they kind of launched it which fine but man just so many little quirks now here's one other thing and this is a kind of a topic segue right here that i find very odd too so the other thing that hbo and warner brothers is doing right now is that they're thinking that people are going to really care next year that they're going to have the exclusive snyder cut of justice league available to watch yeah and here's where it gets better is that the Snyder Cut was incomplete. They are going to pump $30 million into finishing this movie. And they said they're also going to do this without doing any reshoots whatsoever. Now, yeah. here's here's my point I want to make here about this. So they think that, and the thing is, there's petitions. People are like, yeah, release the Snyder Cut, release the Snyder Cut. My response is, anybody actually watched Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman? Haven't we realized that Snyder wasn't really good in those movies? Like, I never wanted to ever see a Superman movie where a guy that's supposed to be an icon of hope is in the most dreary, depressing movie possible. And I get that the version of Justice League that came out was very disjointed because of unfortunate tragedy that Snyder had with the death of his daughter and Joss Whedon coming in and kind of redoing the movie itself. But Here's the problem is that Warner Brothers could have said, hey, instead of having the Justice League fight Steppenwolf, we could have him fight, still keep fighting Apocalypse, but they, uh, or sorry, Darkseid, and they just said, you know, 
whatever. We'll let you change whatever you want to do. And that that was on Warner Brothers' side. But I don't get the whole frenzy behind the whole Snyder cut. No, I just, I just, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I just don't care. I mean, maybe if, yeah, like you said, if Man of Steel and Superman, Batman were these awesome movies, you're like, man, Justice League could have been so great if Snyder had just gotten to finish it. But it's like the movies he did finish weren't great. Like, it's not something I'm chomping at the bit. I mean, I'll probably watch it when it comes out just to see how different it is and see if it is any good. But I, it's certainly not something that I've been, you know, signing petitions for to get to, to release. I mean, it's, I, I don't care, you know. Yeah, it's just such a weird thing to see people beg and want for. And I think it's even weirder that HBO is going to spend $30 million to finish this movie. Going back to what my just previous complaints were about HBO in the first place with what they're doing. I mean, I, I think it's hard enough. Like right now, Jen and I, my wife, we've been talking about whether or not we cancel HBO. And we sit there and like, what's... What's there to watch at this point currently on HBO? That's a draw. I know eventually you're going to get the next new series of our new season of Barry, and that's going to be a nice draw in there. But I got to tell you, watching Westworld, the third season, what a fucking dud that was. Oh, I've been, never been more disappointed. And it's nice to have access to a lot of the back catalog on there, but it's hard to justify paying $15, I think, for what HBO is currently offering when it, you compare to what the price points are to like their competition. It's almost like HBO saying we're the best one out there and here's the premium price you're going to pay. Yeah. But what, what are you bringing new to your table? You, if, if you're just saying that we're charging you $15 a month, just so you can have access to old episodes of game of Thrones and Sopranos, as well as, you know, these movies and stuff. Fine. But man, it that continues more time that passes. So, yeah, HBO and Snyder Cut, boo. Yeah. You're freezing up on me here. I'm not freezing up. You are quiet. Stupid internet. You're a stupid internet. Maybe. But, yeah, it's definitely some odd choices there. Hopefully they can pull out of it. I mean... You know, maybe given time, they'll start to get some original content on there that'll be worthwhile. But for the time well, being, it's it's not horrible, at, but it's certainly not what it could have been. Looking at the original content, hey, look, we have like kind of like a weird night show with Elmo. Like, oh, good, good. And we have an Anna Kendrick comedy. I'm like, okay, I don't yeah. know. I, I we talked about a couple episodes ago, like with the new episode, new season, the Mandalorian, you know, poise that come out in October. And that's going to be what puts Disney probably back over the top again. But, you know, I, I think I've gained a better appreciation for Netflix over the past, you know, few weeks and everything with some of the shows that they have on there. And I think what they're doing, I, it's just, it's the issue that we've talked about before about so many streaming services out there. And if you're a core cutter, what do you go with? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we're we're not at the end of these streaming wars. I think in some of these places, you know, some of these services are going to survive. Some aren't. Some are going to merge. And, you know, be curious to see what the landscape looks like a couple of years from now. You know, like, is Hulu still going to be out there with Disney? You know, is Disney going to want to maintain two different streaming services? Or, you know, how is all this going to pan out down the road? Well, and it's it's becoming a game of hostages at this point because, NBC, they have their streaming service that was supposed to debut this summer, the Peacock, with the Olympics. But now the Olympics is gone. So, all right, you lost your big draw for that. 
but they have the streaming rights now for the office again and they're like ha, yes you if you want to watch the office you got to go through our service and like oh all right and now you have hbo like yeah but if you want to watch friends or you want to watch big bang theory like all right and you know you still have like parks and recreation on a few different channels but eventually those are going to get snatched up you know like if you want to watch parks and rec you got to have these channels like oh so yep um but yeah outside of uh that what else you got on the docket um not a whole lot i mean there was some interesting points brought up when i was watching the jamie oliver thing he was talking about sports and coronavirus and how you know how we get back to sports you know i mean like some play you know they're talking about doing like bubble leagues where basically they just play their games without having an audience there but at the same time that's you know how viable is that because you still have to have like all the coaching staff all the trainers all the you know people there for that like that's still a huge undertaking you know and i guess germany's already done that with their soccer league and they've already you know like somebody left you know left the stadium to go get like some toothpaste or something and so he maybe got infected and he had to be you know quarantined for two weeks or something like that before he could go back in so it's just this weird landscape and i guess they apparently they sponsored this like have you seen those marble racing videos hello yeah i I Uh, said uh, yeah you've been cutting in and out um so apparently, like Jamie Oliver and you know, let, let last week tonight or something has sponsored this marble racing league that apparently was looking for a sponsor and has been this huge thing because people are just looking for competitive sports in any way, shape, or form they can. And apparently, this marble race is called like ULIS or something. It's spelled gel, like J E L L E, marble racing, and it's from like the Netherlands or something like that. Um, but apparently, it's like exploded in popularity because people are just looking for some kind of competitive thing. And just, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like, I mean, not just with sport, you know, sports, how we get back to that, how we get back to movies, you know, which I think we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, once all this gets out, just, you know, how public gatherings in general, you know, concerts, how is that going to work, in a, you know, the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, it's, I don't know, like, they're, Major League Baseball is hitting a lot of problems right now trying to get their season back. And part of it is, is that the owners are saying, we are making as much money, so all of you got to take pay cuts, which some players are taking umbrage with because when your owners are billionaires, it's like not having enough money. All right. Yeah. There's there's a lot of logistics to try to figure out. The NFL, they're still confident they're going to have their product this year. It's just a matter of fans or no fans itself. It's it's hard because I think the biggest problem is, is that we want to get back to normal. And a lot of people hate the phrase, well, this is the new normal. And it's like, well, no, I want the old normal. I think it's a combination of both things. It's like, obviously, we want to get back to a more familiar atmosphere and having the things that we used as distractions before. The hard part about it, I think a lot of it is this, is that there's just so many logistics until you can actually have an effective, you know, uh, until you can actually say that we have a vaccine that's effective. And even then, that's still an issue right there because, all right, how is it 100% effective? Like, you know, there's people that get the flu shot but still get the flu because the flu mutates. Yeah. And, you know, so this could be – it's one of those things that, you know, there's not a quick, easy fix for any of this. And I – yeah, you know, I don't, think, I don't think so either. And I think even, like, say – 
best case scenario, say if something happens and say that, you know, let's say that September, everything, you know, somebody says, okay, we're fine. You can go back to normal. I think there's going to be a lot of people that are trepidatious of that just because I think having spent the last, you know, nine, 10 months, you know, in the manner that we have, I think that's going to leave some people still unsure, even though, you know, maybe the government or CDC or whoever says, you know, okay, yes, you can go back to life as normal. There's going to be a lot of people that are just still going to be, you know, uneasy to go back to that just because they're like, well, we did it before and this, you know, look where it got us. Like, you know, it's not going to be, I think, an easy switch to where, you know, Sunday we're, you know, we're all quarantined and then Monday all of a sudden it's back to normal and we're, you know, filling stadiums and filling concert venues and whatever. You know, I think it's going to be a, if we do get back to that stage, I think, you know, it's possible, but I think it's going to be a ways down the line yet. You know, and I, I don't want to turn this into a massively political thing, but with John and I, we reside in Minnesota. We reside in the metropolitan area. And with, of course, the recent Floyd death due to the hands of the police department of Minneapolis, is it's a huge dividing point in our country. There's riots and protesters that are happening all over, not only just our country, everywhere else. This This is definitely a year where it just keeps building up and, I made a comment on Facebook is that we're, we're not even done with how weird this year is. You know, we're still going to have a natural disaster or two that's going to happen. We always have a hurricane that always seems to mess the living hell out of, let's say, a coast. We always have a tornado or an earthquake or some sort of forest fire that messes things up. You know, we're going to have beloved celebrities or people that we love that die. That always happens. Then we got the election near the end of the year, which is going to be one of the most polarizing moments in our country possible. So it's to sit there and say, when do we get back to like football? When do we get back to sports? When do we get back to going to movies and theaters? When I mean, there's all these movies that are just sitting there that could go out. And it's, man, I don't know, man. It's it's hard to, going back to what I was just saying, what what does the new normal look like within this year? This has been probably one of the most yeah. shittiest years possible. Yeah, and we're only, you know, we're not even barely six months into it. I mean, it's one of those things where I think, um, I lost my train of thought. Somebody put a penny on your track? Apparently they did, because I just totally forgot what I was going to talk about. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Carry on. I'll try and and regather it. How about this? So, uh, about a week or so ago, maybe a week and a half, uh, I um, had my family watch Back to the Future. It's my, something my kids haven't seen yet. And my wife and I, we probably haven't seen in a while. And part of it was because on the uh, Rewatchables podcast with Bill Simmons, uh, they covered that episode, our show, our movie. And I watched it. And a few comments about Back to the Future. One, it is probably one of the most interesting movies where there is no small detail in the movie that doesn't go doesn't get some form of a payoff in one form of another so such an amazingly clever and well-made movie in that sense you know my kids you know they were interested in the movie and my wife and i were watching and we were just remembering certain things from the movie itself i think the weird thing about the movie though that really kind of just hit home in my head and my wife's head is this so what year did the movie take place 1985. Well, it depends on what you know, 1985, 1955, or 2015. It's 85, and they go back to 1955. The movie is now hitting its 30-year anniversary, so technically, we're 30 years in the future from when Back to the Future happened. We're 30, are we? Well, 35 years. 35, 35. 
but that's just it 35 years and i thought there because you know you see like when marty's going back in time and he's you know going through all these things and everybody's confused because of you know 1985 life and the things that he knows and i'm sitting there like if i went back to 1985 and i were to explain like all these things to like the public <laughs> like how fast do you think i would get committed at this point it would just be one of those things like yeah hey uh, how you guys doing I'm from the future. Um, you see this thing I have in my hand right here? Uh, this is a phone. I'm like, that's not a phone. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's great. I can also go on the internet. I'm like, what's the internet? Like, imagine I could get any piece of information I wanted, or if I want Jennifer Lawrence nudes, or if I wanted to watch basically videos of guys kicking each other in the nuts. This little device here would be able to tell them, show me all those things. And they were like, you're, you're, you're crazy. I'm like probably, but, but I mean, yeah, it's just weird. Like, like I told my wife, it's like, yeah, this movie's like basically 35 years old. She's like, has it been that long? I'm like, yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't feel like it, but it has. Yeah. It's one of those things where time flies and it's hard to, you know, certain things like that just kind of make it weirder when you look back at, you know, when you realize certain things like that, you know, that that movie is closer to, you know, us land, landing on the moon than it is to the present day is something that just is mind boggling in and of itself, you know. Um, it's it's also weird, too, because this movie is a perfect example of like the 80s in the weird floating scale of ratings. Like they swear a lot in Back to the Future. They swear actually a lot more than I remember. And then it's like also like you're watching with your kid and it's like, Wait, wait, what's what's the plot? Like, well, Marty goes back in time, and then his mom wants us, you know, hook up with Marty. But that's not that's weird. And then Marty has an elaborate plan that involves trying to molest his mom until like his like dad saves him. But it turns out his dad's not there, and Biff tries to rape his mom, and it's so... like, yeah, there's a lot of weird things going on in that movie. Yeah, but then again, it's like, well, it's the 80s. That's kind of how just the 80s were. With the 80s, the 80s always just like felt like that cool uncle or cool dad. Like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and let you see this. Don't tell your parents, but it's going to be awesome. <laughs> like, wait, aren't you my parent, dad? <laughs> yeah, they don't really make movies. I mean, like, you know, I mean, you had movies like Porky's and, you know, even like slasher movies were kind of different back then than they are today. I mean, you still get like slasher horror movies today, but they're not quite the same i feel like they don't have the same i don't know aesthetics to them as they did back then well i think part of it too is like the whole thing about slasher movies in the 80s always seemed to have a common thread where it was the come up um, the comeuppance of basically premature or having promiscuous sex is that if you're a teenager and you sleep around then some weird supernatural entity is gonna fuck you over for it and kill you and that was always like the common thing there, but yeah, it's they that it's just the weird magical time of the eighties where there was just such a more of a gray area and everybody was just perfectly fine with it. Like, yeah, like eighties there was a lot more boobs in eighties movies at PG ratings for some reason. I'm like, yeah, put some boobs in there. It's cool. Kids gotta learn about boobs someday. Speaking of which, like cycling back to Disney Plus, did you see that apparently? And I haven't, I've seen like a screenshot of it, but like how in Splash, yeah, Splash, they like made Daryl Hannah's hair longer so that it like covers up her butt, but at the same time, like there are certain scenes in that movie where they didn't bother covering up her boobs at all. 
Right. Yeah. That I saw like that too. And also looking at how they like digitally alter that. It's like, yeah, all right. That's it makes Wes Anderson's <laughs> the cover of what we talked about in a previous episode. His like special effects look amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just weird choices all around. Mm. So yeah, Back to the Future was just one of those weirdly enlightening moments of just realizing things. And there's still so many things that were never fully explained. Like, why was Doc Marty's friend? Yeah, that's just kind of a weird, you know... I mean, Marty was what? He would have been, what, 17, 18? Probably. Give or take. You know, hanging out with a, I mean, 50-year-old to be charitably. <laughs> you know, I mean... Well, here's another weird thing is that, and this is, once again, it's... I get it because they had his songs featured in the movie, but you have all these Huey Lewis songs in the movie. And matter of fact, with the talent show, Marty's covering a Huey Lewis song. I assume he's covering it, but then like, you know, later in the movie, when he's trying to like change uh, George McFly's mind about trying to, you know, go out with Lorraine, he has his Walkman hooked up to like his head with a headset and he's playing Van Halen. I'm like, I don't know if I would there be a person I know that would listen to Van Halen that would listen to Huey Lewis. Yeah, they are kind of different sides of the same coin coin a bit. I mean, like Huey Lewis is such a weird career because would you call him a pop singer or a rock singer? Popish, jazzy, rock. I, yeah, I don't know. They kind of defy categorization, really. I mean, it's they were. They were a product of its time. Yes, it's definitely very eighties in a way. Like I mean, it was pop at the time, but I don't know how you would how you would categorize it if it were to come out today. Like what what genre you'd stick it in? You know, like if you do a search for Huey Lewis on you know Pandora or something, what, what's he going to be under? Like he falls into that same weird category as like Kenny Loggins, where it's like, all right, you kind of like do some rock style music, but then it's also very poppy and everything. And of course, all the soundtracks that he did as well, too. So, yeah, I, I imagine they get categorized as rock, but that's just because rock tends to kind of get be the one that gets everything lumped into it. Where nobody, you know, it's like, oh, it's got guitar, and if it's put it under rock, you know. <laughs> just imagine, like, you know, what it was like going to like record stores in like the eight, like eighties, where they didn't really think as much about subgenres as there is now. It's like I'm looking for rock. Yeah, just go down that aisle, look at that whole wall. Maybe you'll find what you're looking for. Yeah, pretty much. It's alphabetical. Just go find it. Man, I miss old stores like that, like uh, Musicland or uh, Sam Goody. Sam Goody. Just walking in there, and you just have a wall of cassettes or a wall of CDs, and then they also had some like instrument supplies. And I thought about that now in retrospect. It's like if you're a musician, it's like, oh, I better go to Sam Goody to get more guitar strings. <laughs> He's never seen right. No, I'm sure they generally catered to the more amateur, you know, crowd of musicians or something. I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine anybody very hardcore going to Sam Goody or Musicland to get their, you know, their guitar case or their strings or whatever. Well, I also think it's like it makes perfect sense why all those places went out of business because, hell, I remember even when I used to work with uh, work at Best Buy, like if you like bought a CD, like maybe the comp the store made about after uh, 
cost and everything like a dollar on there. So like think about it, like if you're a place like Sam Goody, and maybe that wasn't always the case. Maybe it was the case like back in like the 80s where if you sold like a cassette or a CD, you were making like 50% margin. But then like going from that to like selling a CD and only making a dollar on it, like how many CDs would you have to sell per day? And then what do you need to make the rent for those places? Yeah, are there even stores? Can you still buy CDs anywhere? I suppose you probably can't like Target or no. Actually, here's the fun thing. Here, I was looking for a CD the other day, and I hadn't been in the Best Buy or where I like. If I have, I went in like reluctantly for some reason. And Best Buy stopped selling CDs apparently back in the uh, 2018. And they still carry vinyl albums, but that's because they had an agreement with the record companies to carry vinyl up through this upcoming year at this point. Target still has CDs, but Target's different. Target is selling CDs on consignment only, meaning that they essentially they'll get CDs from the record labels, but the record labels don't get paid until the CD sells. So if you're a, a label, basically, it's like, all right, we're only going to send the things we know that are going to sell. So yeah, and I've noticed too, like at Target, I think, like they have a lot of like, you know, we have an exclusive, you know, exclusive song or an exclusive cover. You know, they, they try to do things, I feel, to try and get people to buy them there instead of downloading them or or whatever, you know, to lure people in to get them. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you want CDs anymore, you're either Amazon at this point or I don't know, Walmart still has some, but. Yeah, it's just the digital medium and format at this point, or you're buying directly from the artists themselves. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few bands that I still like to get physical CDs from, like you know, like the Star Wars soundtracks. I like to get a physical copy of uh, Gorillas, Nine Inch Nails. You know, anytime Faith No More puts out a new CD, which you know probably won't happen again, but you know, there's a few bands. But for the most part, I'm perfectly content with just downloading it or even just streaming it off of you know whatever music service you've got because just having physical media just is not something I necessarily need anymore. You know, I've got boxes of CDs down in storage now that I need to go through and figure out, you know, how much of this stuff do I want to keep and what do I want to get rid of once we move here? Well, I think that's the plight of most bands too, is that for them, like now if a band wants to make money, that's why touring is so essential to these bands. And now that you have, of course, the pandemic that's eliminated all these concerts, that's like the lifeblood for so many bands. Now, one band that I've seen do something amazingly clever I don't know why others haven't thought this through. So if you can't have a concert, what's the next best thing, John? I imagine would you let live stream it probably? Now you would probably say that, but it still doesn't feel like an actual concert experience when you live stream something. Local H, uh, one of bands I'm a huge fan of, what they did was, and I think this is coming up this upcoming week, they're actually going to be performing at a drive-in. So they'll have their PA system and stuff hooked up through the same stuff. Like people would like then turn their radio on to a certain station so they could get the music pumped into their cars from there. So you're still watching the band perform live. You're still getting the music fed into your car live. You're still in your car though. So you're not like, Hey, social distancing. Everybody's the proper distance away. I sat there and I thought, man, that is some clever thinking right there. Yeah, and I think somebody for somebody like local age, you know, and some of the smaller to mid-range bands, I can see where that, you know, if you can find venues where you can do that at, that's, you know, actually a pretty ingenious idea, and I think it could work. But I think you know, some of your, your once you start to get up the, you know, I don't know the pay scale or whatever, the, some of your bigger bands, it's yeah, you know, it's not going to be feasible to you know cram thousands of cars into 
you know, whatever area, you know, but maybe it's something where they're like, well, we'll just take what we can get. We'll do these smaller venues and, you know, at least it's something and we're, you know, spreading the word and, you know, sell merch or something. I don't know what the heck you end up doing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're adapting the different things, you know, to do it. But, I mean, at least it's a level of innovation that, hey, works to a good extent at this point, so... Yeah, I'll be curious to see. Like, I just saw the other day, like, there, you know, like Faith No More was touring with who was it? It was supposed to be Corn and somebody else, and they rescheduled them for like a year out, like at sometime in 2021. Like, I think it was May of 2021 that they rescheduled them, and they're supposed to be this summer. But I'll be curious to see, like, you know, a year from now, like we said, are, are people going to be ready to go back? Are we going to be, you know, in a place where people are going to be doing concerts? I mean, that's, you know, I suppose maybe they figure, well, it's a year out, so we'll kind of see what happens at that point. Yep. So, yeah, concerts. What else you got? What else do I have? I don't know. I've got a bunch of stuff on my plate just, like, life-wise, you know, moving two hours, you know, hour and a half, two hours away and starting a new job. And, yes, exactly. If I sound far away now, I'll be farther away possibly the next time we record or something. But, yeah, next week we close on the house. The week after that we start moving in. And the week after that I start the new job. So, yeah. So you're saying that your house is going to be unoccupied and I can squat in there? You could for a week there because from the 8th until, I mean, we'll be, well, for a week and a half probably because it's going to be four days of packing up that the company's going to be doing and then two days of moving us. So we won't be in there till like Saturday or so. Are you going to disclose to whoever is buying the house about the Blair Witch Room? I could. It doesn't really look like the Blair Witch Room anymore though. So so we'll see. I don't know if that's something I necessarily need to mention. I, I do have to say, I do miss how your basement used to have be like one of the most weirdest, creepiest basements. Like it had the feel like of an old like dive basement bar, but like with asbestos tiles, asbestos tiles on the floor that probably were giving us all cancer and the Blair Witch yeah. guy. Many of people were probably murdered ritualistically. And it was very much like a basement that somebody like finished off in like the late 70s, early 80s. And then nobody touched it since then until we gutted it. and made it what it is now but yeah definitely had a weird you know the, the wood paneling and the old ass red carpeting that used to be on the floor and the weird 70s-ish bar that was tucked back in the corner yeah it had a weird aesthetic to it yes it did and it's going to be gone how are you going to live, deal with the fact you're not going to be a block away from dairy queen anymore not even a block like friggin' hundred feet like that that's one of those i was like i'm probably gonna lose weight because i'm you know not walking distance of a dairy queen or a butcher shop anymore or little caesars or you know two liquor stores I'm yeah listen little caesars john that's like basically saying i want to do a hate crime on my stomach but i'm on a budget yeah pretty much and make no mistake, Little Caesars is only when we cave to the children, and usually what we end up doing is we'll get Little Caesars for them, and then we'll eat something else because, yeah, you get what you pay for at Little Caesars. Uh, it's funny because my kids, when it comes to pizzas, it's a mixed bag about what they do and don't like. My son, though, there's one pizza that, like, there's two pizzas, actually. Like, I've I've, I've often sat there and thought, so I just, just disown them, but my oldest son... Like when we get frozen pizzas, like the one that we have up here, that's sort of a regional thing that we like is called lots of matzo from brew pub. Hell yeah. And that's, that's my, one of my favorite, like, you know, frozen pizzas, but then there's like the brands like Jackson Romas. That's what my son likes. The ones that are like four pizzas for $10. And <laughs> he loves them. Like this is the best pizza in the world. I'm like you have a gutter palate. 
It's like, how is how are you eating that? In, in his defense, you know, like we grew up eating Totino's pizzas, probably thinking that they were the greatest things in the world. Or he did not. I did not think those were the greatest pizzas in the world. <laughs> I I would eat those pizzas. Like if I had to eat a cheap pizza, like I would eat maybe a Tony's pizza. That was like one like, yeah, it's okay for what the price is, but I held no illusions. And that was one like back then, like if you were you paying money for like a, what you thought was a good pizza, which was like Tombstone. And now like you look at Tombstone, it's like Tombstone's like shit like, compared to some of the other pizzas you find in your stores now. And Yeah, I feel like the quality of frozen pizza has gotten infinitely better over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. But then that's the problem is like a lot of these like now better pizzas out there, you're paying like 10 bucks for a frozen pizza. And that's sometimes like there's like sales I see where you buy one, get one free. And like, all right, five bucks isn't okay. But once you start hitting that $10 range, it's like, wait, shouldn't I just get a order? Of why, why don't, why don't I just go to Papa Murphy's? Well, it's also like DiGiorno, like, you know, ha-ha, it's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. It's like, I know, your pizza's yeah. never going to be confused for delivery. <laughs> God, no. Your your pizza basically is like just a puffier crust, but just the same old dumb lame shit on top of your pizza. Still garbage. Mm. All what right. Let's consider here. We're going to be probably getting uh, lawsuits for slander from uh, DiGiorno. <laughs> HBO <laughs> only if it wasn't true but it's all true so we're safe mm -hmm. yeah I think we're running out of stuff yeah you know it's about that time probably yeah we've been going for about an hour let's spare the people any of our stuff Get, tomorrow's technically the last day of school for my kids Yes, mine as well. They'll be coming home at some point tomorrow. Yeah. My empty, my empty house will be full of children playing Roblox. Now nah, let them play Borderlands. There we go. That'll be good times. Well, just play two-player Borderlands. You you got to have somebody back you up there, John. There we go. Then I won't die as much as I have been. I will say that Borderlands One, you do die a lot more than you do in the other Borderlands games. That's because it's easy to have level mismatches, and well, it's good to know it's not just me. Then I, I I struggled early on until like you started getting the right weapons, but then like you sit there and you look at your equipment, and it's like I'm level ten, but I'm using like a level six gun, and it's like well that could be part of the problem right there, and it's just trying to maximize your damage per second output that you're trying to do so. That's why, like when you do finally find like a vending machine that's able to have like a weapon that's like the same level as yours, you're like, yes, score. Or especially when you find the different rarity weapons, like once you like start finding like the purple weapons that are amazing, and then when you finally get your legendary weapons. Yeah, I think I'm a ways off from that yet. I think the earliest level I got legendary weapons was like 18 to 20 or so. Yeah, I think I'm level three. Yeah, you're you're not gonna have to worry about that for a while. Noob. You're just playing a game that's been out for over ten years. Uh, you know. I got it for cheap though. Three games for fifty bucks. Not bad. Yeah, it's a good price. That's probably what you paid for each one of those. Probably. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you folks for joining us and Hopefully this arbitrary episode helped you learn about a lot of valuable things about us.
yes our thoughts on hbo and Zack snyder and some of our hatred of elves and yeah stupid elves and vulcans stupid space elves space elves damn them to hell yes thank you everybody we appreciate it until next time i'm one of your hosts mike spragle and i'm john lundquist bye bye have a good one everybody